Hello, Chitheads listeners. Today's episode is inspired by current events, uh, specifically those surrounding the coronavirus. Obviously, this is a very challenging time for all of us. It provokes a lot of fear and anxiety and a sense of instability and a lack of groundedness. And therefore, it seems like an incredibly worthwhile time to really be looking at wisdom teachings and especially to be um, focusing on our contemplative practices, Um, not as a way of escaping from what's going on, but as a way of better responding to what's happening as an individual and as a community. Today's episode is actually comprised of two interviews, one with Miles Neal, who's a faculty member of our mind-body therapy program, and Isu Guchardi, who's also a faculty member. Both of these individuals were previously interviewed on Chitheads, and you can listen to full interviews with them. But today, uh, I invited them to speak about the coronavirus and how we should respond um, from the perspective of contemplative practice. The first interview with Miles actually was a part of a series of Facebook Live video interviews I did last week celebrating the launch of our journal Tarka and the issue on Bhakti, which uh, Miles had um, contributed to. So you'll hear a little bit of referencing of the Tarka journal, and uh, Miles has some really fascinating and interesting reflections on kind of the relation with topics related to bhakti and what we can do um, right now in in response to the coronavirus event as contemplative leaders and practitioners. And then I invited Isa um, as a way of rounding out the conversation uh, around corona with some more specific um, uh, suggestions and guidelines for how we can respond and also what kind of practices we might look to to help support us at this time. So I hope that these um, considerations, these contemplations, and these suggestions from both Miles and Isa are helpful for you. And if you feel like you need an additional resource at this time, um, you can check out the meditation album that we created earlier this year, which is available for free at embodiedphilosophy.com forward slash 2020 dash album. And please know that I'm sending blessings to all of you at this challenging time. All right, so we are now live, and I am here with uh, Miles Neal, and we are celebrating this week um, our the launch of our print journal Tarka, the journal Tarka, which I have here in my hand. This is uh, one of the issues. Um, uh, is a is a journal that we've been publishing for a couple of years now as a digital offering, um, but the last several months we've been working very hard to to um, create a, a very beautiful document that you can hold in your hands um, to feature the writings of our um, wonderful contributors and uh, the friends of embodied philosophy. So this week we're, we're celebrating this issue which is on bhakti um, by uh, interviewing, I'm, I'm interviewing several of the contributors on Monday. I spoke to Nina Rao and we did a little kirtan here at my place. You can find that on Facebook now as well as on YouTube. Uh, on Tuesday, I met with Hari Kirtan 
Kirtana Das, and we went into, dove deep into some of the uh, kind of philosophical questions around um, uh, bhakti. And then on Wednesday, I spoke to Mary Riley Nichols, and we talked about uh, bhakti from a fairly erotic perspective. So that was very fun. Check that out. Mary's always a great time. And then Thursday, yesterday, I spoke to Kavita Chanayan um, about uh, bhakti from uh, the perspective of, 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 a, of a Shaiva Shakta, but really kind of looking at bhakti as this is a, as a sort of quality that isn't sectarian. And today, as I talk to Miles Neal, we're gonna continue a bit in, um, of that kind of understanding of devotion and bhakti, because of course, um, uh, these qualities can be found in all um, wisdom esoteric traditions. Miles is a... Um, representative of a Buddhist lineage. And so we'll talk a little bit about that in the context of, of pilgrimage, which is the, the article that he wrote was on pilgrimage. I will just uh, mention the title, which is The Power of Pilgrimage, Sacred Rite and Paradigm Therapy. And uh, the article, it was very interesting, beautifully written. Miles is a great writer, ends with um, a, a sort of consideration of paradigm therapy, which I think is one of the kind of most um, innovative, interesting ideas that, uh, that Miles uh, discusses in his article. Um, but before we get into the, all that, hello, Miles, how are you? Hey, Jacob, nice to see you. And thank you again for inviting me and um, asking me to participate in all the good things that you're doing. And also congratulations on Tarka. And I always think that you guys um, offer such high quality uh, promote, you know, programs and Tarka is no different. So thank you for inviting me to, to contribute. It's quite an honor and congratulations on all that you're doing and all the expansion of embodied philosophy. You're really, really a remarkable, uh, you know, uh, leader. So thank you, Jacob. Oh, thanks, Miles. I can always count on you to flatter uh, so well. <laughs> and you're stunningly uh, beautiful on top of it all. <laughs> now okay. I got you blushing. <laughs> <laughs> I am blessing. At some point, I'm just going to combine all those audios of you flattering me and play them on repeat to self-affirmation. Um, so, so um, you know, we were talking before we came live about whether or not we should talk about the coronavirus. And it's a big present on our mind, and it's becoming more and more present in our minds. And so it seems almost irresponsible not even to mention it um, in a live uh, session like this. So what are some of your thoughts as it relates to you know, from a spiritual perspective or from the perspective of, of teachings, I mean, what, what, what are some of the teachings that we have available to us that can help us in a time like this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, I mean, everything becomes secondary. This is a, this is a major global threat, and I'm not I'm trying to be alarmist. I don't think we, it's not dramatic. I think we need to be, as, as people in positions of leadership amongst our own networks, we need to be very clear and send the message that we are not in denial about the ramifications of what is uh, amidst us. Uh, and at the same time, we also need to, you know, exercise the kind of uh, embodiment of um, presence, um, calm. Um, you know, we have to have, you know, our prefrontal cortex has to be online. We have to offer a kind of, you know, a vibration that is forward moving, I think. And so, you know, one, the first thing I want to say is I don't, I want to cut through the denial. We're, we are, this is a crisis. This is probably a far more enduring uh, crisis. It'll probably be a convergence of crisis. There will be not only the pandemic, but an economic uh, shockwave. And so yeah. I think we have to do that first and foremost, is cut through the denial. And, you know, most of the people in my network and most of the people in your network uh, are of a demographic of a spiritual inclination. And so 
what the fuck have we been practicing for? You know, like, here's the time. This is go time. Okay, so we are actually in a very unique position to uh, actually walk the talk and everything that we have done in terms of our yoga practice and our study and our embodiment and, you know, refining our vagal nerve and, uh, and, and, and also investing in a, a much broader, much more flexible perspective of reality. All of that comes into play now. So, you know, we may have just enjoyed a lar- long period of safety and abundance in which we were kind of lax about our practice. It may have been more armchair practice. And, and now it is time to go to work, kids. Um, now it's time to really understand that the, the practice of yoga, the practice of Buddhism, the practice of any Dharma practice, any spiritual wisdom, uh, it, is, it has been designed to stay resilient and to also turn your heart inside out. This is not just about you. This is about your network, uh, whatever sphere of influence you have. You, you, everybody must uh, be a leader now. Everybody has to contribute now. And in order to get that kind of forward movement and that buoyancy, uh, we have to have one foot deeply entrenched in our wisdom tradition and the other foot exercising compassion amongst the the people who may not be as resilient, may not be as grounded, uh, may not be as uh, deeply um, invested in their studies. And so they're they're the more vulnerable ones. And so we have to straddle these two worlds. Mm. So what is, in what ways does our practice actually help us at a time like this? And how can we use the cumulative effects of our practice to help others and to serve? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I mean, I, I was, to be perfectly honest, because I'm also in the role of a therapist, I'm fielding a lot of anxious yeah. phone calls right now. It's, it's just the social contagion of fear right now is, is yeah. what I'm trying to cut through. And, and it has never been at the same time as feeling and fielding a lot of that anxiety, it's never been um, more clear what the concept or the notion of emptiness really means because I, 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 after, after, after a full day of work and fielding a lot of phone calls and managing um, uh, contingency plans amongst my network uh, post uh, Trump's announcement uh, and the uh, stock market crash, um, it never became more clear just how illusory a lot of these things are. We have been living in a fantasy. And then some people that are feeling really debased and grounded and they're, they've lost half their income and they, they start to see that they're, they're more vulnerable than they actually thought they were and that you know, the, the shelves are clearing and uh, you know, things are falling apart on every level, microscopic to macroscopic. It is disintegrating. We are in disintegration. And so if you don't have a Dharma practice and you don't understand emptiness and you don't understand the fluidity of, 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 of things, and you don't understand the impermanence of things, uh, then your nervous system is going to get the best of you because you go scrambling for security yeah, and you yeah. go to buttress yourself against the, against the, uh, the potential demise into the void. Uh, into the, into the cavern, into the cat, you know, under the, under the pressures of the cataclysm. And so this is when it's really important to see the, 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 that things have been largely a construction, a fabrication. Uh, the fact that, that uh, we have always been um, amidst impermanence, but now it's just very clear and apparent. And so, you know, part of it is to remain calm and centered that, you know, we have basically everything we need and those things that we don't need are really you know, shifting right in front of us. 
I mean, we need such basic things right now. Our, our, right now, our nervous system with one breath. And linking eyes, I see you, you have a beautiful face. I see you're not afraid, Jacob. You can offer me a smile, I can offer you a smile. We can slow the conversation down. We are okay now. Mm -hmm. So it's not to go too far into emptiness to say this is all an illusion. It's all just a, a masquerade. It's all a play. And it's also not to go the other direction where we buttress down in a bunker, totally afraid. We're going to lose it all. We're going to all die right in the middle. The tectonic plates are shifting and we have the inner resources. We have exactly what we need. Everything else has been an extraneous construction. You know, part of a fabricated life that we thought actually, you know, wasn't all that satisfying anyway. I mean, I see so many advantages and possibilities amidst this crisis right now. They are dawning on me like popcorn. Mm. So do you think that the, um, you know, the reaction of the, you know, what, whether or not it's warranted, uh, which of course it is because it is a legitimate threat, we're not denying that. Um, but do you think that, you know, were these, you know, contemplative practices to be more widely disseminated, would the kind of reaction that we're seeing on a global scale, um, aside from just the the fear, would we see a different kind of response, do you think, in terms of, you know, closing down borders, stopping flights, um, which seems to, in a certain way, also, in a kind of sense, compound. Um, it's sort of like a self-perpetuating kind of situation where, where the fear compounds even more when these sort of drastic measures are taken by governments, um, even though they may be needed to, you know, to control the spread. Um, thoughts on that? I mean, you, you know me, and I think we share a common perspective that there are multiple paradigms and multiple complex um, perspectives. To have an integrated uh, perspective, a holistic perspective, means that there's multiple, multiple dimensions to be, um, to be taken into consideration and addressed. So like bio, biomedically, yes, I mean, there is a pandemic and there are the, the, the science is pretty clear about how you know we see from South Korea and uh, from China, you know we're learning very quick, quickly as a collective species what best practices are needed. Okay, yeah. so that's one perspective, and it it works very congruently with trauma perspective. Like the best way to deal with a threat is to stay calm, to connect with each other to use vagal tone, to use communication and intonation, to see each other's faces. Even if we can't do that socially, now that there's social distancing, we should do it online and take full advantage of technology. We need to communicate, we need to collaborate. We will problem solve better if we co-regulate. So that's the trauma perspective. And then from a spiritual perspective, yes. I mean, we need to also recognize like the constructive nature of things that this is this whole facade of the economy that's going to collapse. Everything collapses. It wasn't that good anyway. This, this, is, this is a doorway through the bardo. 
that death is not the end. Death is a new beginning. Embrace yourselves for impact, but then also see the reward of going, you know, we have to burn down the, the field in order to grow. I mean, everybody has, you know, in my circle, we speak spiritually about the new world. We're developing the new world. Well, it all sounds nice until you have to also recognize that creating new also means going through death. And so, so from a spiritual point of view, they talk about death all the time. Well, death is painful. Uh, so, so the reality of death means that things will dissolve, people will die, we will lose loved ones. Uh, the world that we know it will disintegrate, you know, and, but we wanted that, didn't we? We didn't think that the economic system was socially viable for the mass majority of people, and we were asking for change. Well, what does change require, Jacob? It requires that something has to go. And if that thing goes, is it going to just be in the snap of a finger? No. And is it going to happen at no risk and no toll to people? No. And so listen, be careful what you ask for. It's time to be a big grown up, big girl and big boy right now. These are the things that we were wanting for. We wanted a shift in perspective. We talked about a paradigm shift. Well, does it just miraculously appear out of the ether at no toll? Absolutely not. And so now it's time to go through it and it might be an enduring situation. And so having a spiritual perspective is absolutely essential for the long range view of what is actually happening right now. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. Powerfully said. So let's now go a little bit into your article. And of course, um, pilgrimage at this moment might not be on the list of advised activities. Um, you just have but, to get creative with pilgrimage. We might not be going all the way to the Indian uh, subcontinent, but we, we're going well, to we're, we're, we'll have to take heroes' journeys and virtual pilgrimages together. Exactly. Well, that's what I wanted to really talk about is really like what, because of course, the, the pilgrimage, while it is an um, oftentimes an external activity and you've been taking um, groups to physical places, um, but it is also an internal journey as well, as I understand it. So can you talk a little bit about that and the way that we could actually continue to, um, to align with this spirit of pilgrimage even when we are on lockdown? Yeah. I mean, the sadness is, is you know, in the relative things, there are, uh, there are definitive distinctions. So I'm not going to pretend right. that everything... Sure. You know, there's no, there's no substitute for an actual physical pilgrimage to a holy site. From a conventional reality standpoint, that relative uh, experience is, is it's unique unto itself. Yeah. In the same way that I would say there's no substitute for one-on-one -on -one individual therapy live in person. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, you can get remarkable results working online and that's just the new reality of the near future we're going to have to work a lot more effectively online but you yourself i've noticed on embodied philosophy have started retreats online i'm sure you agree with me there's no substitute for an in-person retreat but yeah. you know there are advantages and now that's clear more than ever that we have to move online so i'm i'm not going to sit here and say there is, um, you know, there's nothing unique and special about going to a holy site like Bodhgaya or some of the places that you've traveled to where in, in, inevitably a, 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 a long lineage of, of intense practitioners, including great masters who have awakened, have done practices at those sites. Uh, thousands of years of lineage of devoted practitioners have done the most sincere practices. Those places are imbued with... Um, palpable and visceral real energy and 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 one can feel that and tap that as one taps a nectar source uh, so i'm not going to pretend 
that we can uh, approximate that online. But what I would say is we can up the dimension and go more uh, philosophical or, um, you know, we can, we, can, we can look at it from another point of view and as a metaphor, let's say, that the pilgrimage represents a rites of passage. Okay, the pilgrimage represents uh, what Campbell, Joseph Campbell called a hero's journey. And the hero's journey and the rites of passage have three phases that are uh, common and aligned. The first phase is the departure, the second phase is the initiation, and the third phase is the return. Okay, and the Tibetans in their um, near death or, or death experience, death bardo, rebirth, have the same three phases. And so what I would suggest from a spiritual point of view, we are in the departure stage right now as a human family. I mean, if it's true that this is one of the, this is possibly since, you know, the Spanish flu epidemic of, um, of the last century, this is, this is, a, this is a, an, uh, an unprecedented, if not a, one of the large scale uh, human crises we've experienced in the last century. Let's put it in that context. And then let's add to it that we're probably going to be followed with another shockwave and tsunami with an economic um, collapse, which I actually think is probably right on. I mean, from the astrological point of view, that's definitely what they've been anticipating for years now. And so, so let's say that that's all the dissolution phase. That's all the death phase. There's going to be physical death. There's going to be human loss. There's going to be loss of income. There's going to be loss of social systems. There's going to be loss of governmental agencies there, this is going to be a, a dissolution, an undoing, okay? And, and for most people, they will become traumatized and terrified and paralyzed, and so they will buckle down. Just as if you were physically dying, people resist change. But the spiritually inclined and the spiritually informed and those that have, that have prepared spiritually, uh, those people will start to recognize the signs of dissolution and their training will kick in. Just as a Navy, a Navy SEAL diver with his or her advanced training, once they're underwater for over a period of, of a minute or so, their survival instincts will be subdued and they will, they will cool, calm, and collected, handle the situation much better as a result of training. And so in that middle phase, we, we, are, we will be amidst a, an initiation. Now it's time to really uh, uh, dust off all our Bhagavad Gita, Now's the time to dust off the Dhammapada. Now's the time to dust off all our asanas. Now's the time to get together with our networks and get very creative and subscribe to embodied philosophies. Next course, you know, really, I'm, I'm not trying to plug you. I mean, it puts into very sharp perspective the expendable income, what we usually spend on, what will matter now. Get very clear about your priorities. If you needed to pinch your pennies now, What's gonna be the top three things that you need to do? Well, you're gonna to need to get food and shelter. You're gonna to need to take care of your health and basic necessities. Uh, you're gonna to have to continue to work from home. But then anything after that, I mean, are you gonna invest in Netflix or are you gonna invest in something worthwhile that will keep your Vegas uh, tone primed and give you a constructive, positive outlook so that you can reframe the initiation phase of what's about to happen in the most optimal manner. And then if you're going to be part of that contingency, then you'll be a leader or a steward in the reconstructive effort. And, and we won't go back to the old world. We will actually be participants in the construction of a new, more equitable world, the one that everybody was out there going, hoo, hoo, rah, rah, we want change.
but those people haven't nearly been prepared. Those, I, I guarantee you 80% of those people that were out there on the front lines cheering for activism have not prepared their nervous system and are not prepared spiritually to survive the first round of the collapse. Their nervous system will collapse and they will be paralyzed and fearful. And they're not really ready to handle this spiritually. That's my inclination. As sad as that might sound, I'm just trying to be realistic with you. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, I want to get your, because uh, I want to close this down within um, the next 10 minutes, just because I've promised to try to keep these at 30. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, uh, devotion in the midst of all of this, if we can find a way of, of bringing that concept in, um, just to tie it back a little bit to the, uh, to the topic of the issue. Um, <clears throat> In, I mean, if you want to speak it, to it in the context of what we're talking about with this, you know, obviously um, uh, incredibly um, crucial time, how does devotion play a role? I mean, we've been talking about the cultivation of the nervous system um, and, and, of course, contemplative practice and, and the toning of the vagal nerve. These are all tied together. But where does devotion fit in um, uh, into this puzzle? Yeah, I mean, so for, you know, in bhakti, devotion is the key word in uh, Tibetan tantric uh, parlance. Devotion is a very key word for everybody else. Maybe refuge is a good word. Um, you know, the idea here is amidst a storm, where do you go for shelter? You know, when it gets hard and rough and it gets dark or bleak when your nervous system is tanking, what are the most reliable sources? that you're going to rely on to keep yourself buoyant and your perspective open and actually be constructive and an active member in the constructive. So, you know, for most people, that's their spiritual lineage. And that may be first and foremost in the most immediate way, that might be your spiritual teacher. Okay, so you, through the devotion is what opens your heart and lubricates your attention so that you're more receptive to that message it's almost like there's an electric current and you need to plug in. Devotion is the plugging in. Yeah. You, you, want, uh, you want inspiration, you want support, you want guidance, you want buoyancy, you want direction. Everybody wants that. So who are you listening to? Well, right now in the, in the pandemic, actually a lot of people are turning to the uh, health researchers and the scientists. Yeah. And they're practicing devotion, aren't they? I mean, we could say that's like a mundane devotion. Because they don't know this, the actual facts themselves. They're looking to someone who knows. You know, and maybe this is not the time to turn to other people like presidents, for example. I won't mention who. But maybe, maybe it's the time to turn to people who actually have spent their entire lives looking at the details and the fine tune and, and have a, a very constructive message based on facts and evidence. But spiritually, who are we turning to? And spiritually, what do they have to say? Yeah. And so that's, devotion is what allows us to connect to people, institutions, uh, texts, uh, perspectives, paradigms that are going to actually serve us in the midst of this transition. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. So I want to end on um, something that you've already discussed and that, that I mentioned at the beginning. And that is this um, topic of paradigm therapy, which again, like I said, you've already sort of touched upon it a little bit, but can you um, uh, uh, describe what paradigm therapy is in comparison to, I don't know, what people would typically associate with the term therapy? What, are, what is the kind of nature of that um, particular um, practice of therapy? 
Okay, well, I mean, you and I have shared in common since we've known each other a, um, a, a our, we've been outspoken about our reservations about modern materialistic, the modern materialistic paradigm and its shortcomings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about at a symptomatic level, there are problems with social systems. At a personal level, there are, there are traumatic problems that we have to deal with. But from a systemic or global perspective, there, is, there are paradigm problems that need to be addressed. Like our worldview is problematic. The fact that we reduce everything to matter is, is substantially causing a lot of the uh, strain on our daily lives. But those things go unrecognized because they're so close. We're, we're so close. It's, 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 it's part of our blind spot. Our worldview is out of, out of vision, out of view. And so my attempt to call out paradigm is to say, well, everybody's working on the personal level in trauma therapy. Everybody's working on social systems level. But how many of us are really um, calling out the deeper implication as the Buddhists and the Hindus did for a long time, they were talking about worldview. They were talking about our worldview is corrupted and it is the fundamental klesha. It is the mulla klesha, the, the deepest root affliction is our worldview. And now we get a chance to call out materialism as too myopic, too reductionistic, and very much contributing to societal and personal illness and disease and breakdown. And now's the time in the midst of this transition to make sure when we reboot, let's reboot from a much greater perspective, one that includes interdependence, emptiness, openness, compassion, interdependence, uh, really sees that the world is, is, is much more uh, quantum and much more based on karma. Uh, then, and then we will, if we reboot, reboot with that platform, we'll get a much more robust way of living together in the new world. Fantastic. So um, those that are with us live, if you have any questions for Miles, um, I see a few of you here on Zoom with us. If you have any questions for Miles, you can certainly ask them in the chat. Um, and if not, that's okay too. I'm just gonna mention one more time um, that we are here today celebrating the launch of our journal Tarka, which you can see here. And, um, and you can get uh, the issue with, of course, Miles' wonderful article in it um, from embodiedphilosophy.com forward slash Tarka. It's available as both a digital and a print offering, either as a single issue or as a subscription. Um, so, Miles, uh, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? You know, this has been really powerful. I'm glad this is this is closing the week of interviews with um, something very prescient and and powerful. So, thank you for always bringing it home, uh, taking it to, to the real. And um, do you have any final thoughts, reflections on you know either what we've been discussing in relation to um, the pandemic situation or bhakti devotion more generally? Yeah, I mean, I think I just want to reiterate, you know, just so we're clear and we can repeat the, the key the key sentiment that I'm coming from is now's the time to take refuge, guys. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a spiritual practice, go deep into your spiritual practice. Take care of your basic needs and go deep into your spiritual practice for yourself. But then you, each of us, become a refuge for other people who don't have a spiritual practice. So it is no longer acceptable to just do your spiritual practice for yourself. You also need to be a refuge, a source of buoyancy 
a source of comfort or ease because we are a vast network and there are many, many people less resourced than us. And we need to think of them. There are more vulnerable populations. There are elderly, there are uh, sick, there are people who are not uh, into contemplative um, matters. There are people that are ill-prepared. Uh, we need to think about them. And so I think it's a very important strategy that networks, spiritual networks, like my contemplative studies program, Jacob, and your embodied philosophy, we need to work together so that we create a wider network effect where people can fall back into our programming and because we are gonna offer the best kind of resources for people in terms of their nervous system. You and I both share an interest in making sure that we have the trauma-based covered, the body-based somatics covered, the spiritual. We are fully integrated and fully prepared for this transition. And so together we need to link networks. And so I'm, I'm very much interested after we have this call, we make sure that we understand how we're gonna do that together uh, because let's not work in silos, neither as individuals, nor as communities or networks. Um, this is the time to really get very creative and put a plan into action. Mm, excellent. Okay, well, I've been speaking with Miles Neal, and uh, Miles is the author, uh, by the way, of Gradual Awakening. It's a really beautiful book that you should get your hands on if you haven't already. And Miles, your, your website is milesneal.com? milesneal.com, and my uh, contemplative studies program is gradualpath.com. And there you'll find uh, mo per, you know, smaller modules on trauma, how to, how to, how to get through trauma resilience, and, uh, and use uh, Buddhist cont contemplation to, to you know, sort of take agency in your life, or the larger program that I'm talking about, which we are really building out amidst this crisis right now to really serve as a kind of community forum and community support. We're, you know, I'm sure just like you, Jacob, we're taking, uh, taking proactive initiative to make sure that we up our game here online uh, mm. in preparation for what's about to happen. Excellent. Well, Miles, thank you so much for your time. Jacob, thank you and all the best. This episode of the Chitheads podcast is brought to you by the Embodied Philosophy Wisdom School. The Wisdom School has two levels, Seeker and Sage. The Seeker level gives you access to all of the past talks from our conferences, summits, panels, and seminars. That's over 200 hours of mini-trainings, lectures, and workshops on contemplative studies, yoga philosophy, and mind-body therapy. You can start your free trial of the Seeker level by going to embodiedphilosophy.org forward slash seeker. The Sage level of the Wisdom School gives you unlimited access to all of our past four, six, and eight module courses, as well as access to all of our future courses. We have 12 new courses launching in the Wisdom School over the next three months, April to June. And after that, we will be launching two new courses each month in the Wisdom School, one in yoga philosophy and one in mind-body therapy. And again, as a Sage level member, you get access to all of these, as well as the chance to vote on what courses will be released in the Wisdom School in the future. To learn more or to register as a Sage level member of the Wisdom School, just go to embodiedphilosophy.org forward slash sage. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am here with Issa Guchardi, and we've decided to have a kind of spontaneous conversation about uh, the coronavirus. Um, and so we're going to uh, consider some of the, the issues that arise in uh, a pandemic, um, particularly um, in relation to the fear and the panic that can set in, and really how we cope with those challenges um, from a contemplative perspective. So hi, Isa. Hi, how you doing? Thank you so much for um, uh, agreeing to join me so last minute. It was really just yesterday. I, I texted her and she said, how about it? So here we are. Um, so Isa, let's just get right to the, 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 the point. The point, of course, being that we are in this unprecedented time um, where, you know, countries and now states are in lockdown um, for, you know, a, as it, for, in a, for completely justified reasons as a way to, to control the, um, the, uh, the spread of what could be a really um, uh, horrible disease, um, uh, is a horrible disease. So, but of course, the, the, the shadow of, of this kind of a measure is the sort of hoarding mentality, the panic, the fear, um, and then, uh, and then, of course, compounding that, of course, is the lack of techniques and skills that many people have to know how to deal with it, to know how to to feel okay. Um, so that's what we want to talk about. So um, my first question, really, is just, you know, why is it good? You've been talking about this is the time to practice. You know, this is, uh, you know, it's it's almost more more important to practice in difficult times. So why is it good <laughs> to practice in difficult times? Well, I mean, I think that many times people come to a spiritual practice when things are not so hard, you know, often just because they're looking for like stress relief or something like that, which of course is important, but it's, it has, it's, it's nothing on the scale of trying to keep yourself steady in the, you know, on a raft steady in an ocean of, you know, supercharged emotions all around you. You know, it's one thing when you're, uh, you know, you have a, a stable external environment in which to practice in and to kind of get yourself, you know, on board. But um, when, when the seas get a little choppy, that's when you really get the benefit of starting your practice. And, you know, I think that it, it's difficult for people to start a practice in the midst of a lot of turmoil externally, but it's still a good time. And, that, you know, often I'll, I'll tell my students, practice, practice now, because, you know, when you're, you know, I often relate it as Buddhists do to how you live is how you die, right? Mm, and because yeah. as you're dying, you're only going to have your practice. And if you try to develop your practice when you're not feeling well anymore, it's going to be harder. So it is a hard time to start a practice now but it is still a good time to start a practice. And if you've had any kind of a practice up until now, this is actually a great moment to test it and to look at these different events that are happening around us and to see the fear and the panic coming up around those around us and try to understand what is the best way to respond? What is the best way? What can I do to be most helpful in this situation? And in order to be able to do that, you have to have some equanimity within yourself. So I think, you know, why is it difficult? Why is it a good idea to practice in difficult times? 
to test yourself and to help those around you. Yeah. So then a part of this is, of course, um, uh, this common theme that we hear in contemplative um, teachings to respond rather than react. So what would be uh, a condition of reactivity that we could fall into right now? And what would be an alternative way of responding? Well, I think uh, I can describe that. I was at the grocery store yesterday. Uh, we had the lockdown order here in San Francisco, uh, you know, for midnight last night. So people were going to the store. And it was really interesting observing how people were reacting. And um, there was one woman. So, her, so here's reactivity. Her reaction was every three or four minutes, we were standing in a line. There was about 60 people in a line down a city block waiting to get wow. into the store, right? And so, um, so she was, um, every two or three minutes, she would take her arm, put it out in front of her and say, everyone get away from me. And she would go in a circle to the people in front of her and the people at back of her and anyone passing by on the, on the sidewalk. And she would just, she was sort of like a, a lighthouse, but it wasn't a lighthouse. It was, it was like a dark house. <laughs> dark house. <laughs> Shadow house. <laughs> you know, it was like going around, you know, it was like darkness going around in a circle there. And her face was pale and pinched and, and she was really, you know, anybody who got close to her, she was like a chihuahua, you know, just like, you know, and it was, it was pretty, um, if that, so that was a reaction, right? So she's in full reactivity. And then, then the woman, I had so much compassion for her. The woman who was uh, one of the employees of the store was, they were, they were only allowing 10 people in the store at once um, because, wow. yeah. um, they were overwhelmed, right? And so, and there were some people in line that were like, you know, come on, man, come on, we need to get in, man. you know, they were, they were like that. So they were in reactivity, but she was trying to respond and I could see how difficult time she was having because she was, her, she was pale, she was taut and she was, you know, you know, really having, you know, she, but she was being measured and, you know, you know, and I made a point of saying to her, and I'm not trying to toot my horn here, but I made a point of saying to her, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And she just kind of almost broke down, like the tautness, she was like, oh, like it's working, you know, like it was a relief for her to feel like she was being effective, you know? Yeah. And, and um, you know, and I think that, again, I'm not tooting my own horn or anything like that. I'm doing what probably what any one of the listeners here today would have done, which is to appreciate and to have gratitude for someone's effort, right? Yeah. So that's, that's something, that's, that's a response, you know? Yeah. And it was interesting because when we came out, when I came out, I got my, my things and I had my basket and she said, let me walk you to your car. And I was like, sure, you can walk me to my car. That's great, you know? But it was the reason she wanted to walk me to my car was because she really needed help you know, mm. she was saying, I feel so vulnerable. Like she saw in me that I saw her, you know, yeah. and she wanted to talk, you know, she, she said, I feel so vulnerable. I, you know, she was probably, she looked like she was in her late sixties, early seventies, you know, and, and, um, you know, she, she was like, I feel really vulnerable. There's all these people here and, you know, it's, I'm having a hard time. And, you know, you know, she, and, and I said, you know, I think it's, I think you're doing, I think you really need to rest in your, you know, good intention. She said, well, I'm trying to be grateful because a lot of people don't have a paycheck right now. And I'm like, and that's a really good thing to do, you know, to rest yeah. 
in that gratitude, you know? So I tried, you know, again, I, I, I was trying, she was struggling to respond, but she was responding well. And, you know, she just needed a little support. And so yeah. I was, yeah. and so yeah. I was responding in a way to try to, to support her. Right. Yeah. And so there's a real contrast here um, between, you know, our experience together and the, in the, in the dark house. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, it's like, you know, I, I think one of, one of the things also you're alluding to is um, there is part of that reactivity is to kind of, you know, segregate oneself and to, you know, to lose that sense of community. And, and, and one thing that I've been observing as well, that's really beautiful is, you know, and people are posting things on, you know, the various social media outlets about, you know, someone put up a sign on their building, like, if you need someone to bring you any food, like, please call my number, you know, so people in their community are stepping up to support each other, you know, for someone who can't leave the house for whatever reason, because they're a more vulnerable population. Um, and, uh, and then also a friend of mine, Ryan, yesterday was posting about how, you know, these, you know, there were 60 people in an online yoga class. Some yoga teacher had, you know, was offering a free class online. And so those ways in which we respond to the situation by, by, by trying to cultivate community and, and a feeling of, of, of support for everyone is, is, you know, it feels like one of these ways that we can respond right now. That's it's so right, Jacob. So right. So let's talk about um, maybe how and what to practice in difficult times. Um, you know, specifically right now, Corona season. Um, what uh, you know, obviously we we love meditation. Um, are there any other kind of uh, supplemental practices or any any ways of 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 um, being contemplative at this time that are, are, you think are particularly fruitful? Well, I think that one of the things that probably all of us have coming up in our, you know, as, as we look internally is we are looking at fear. You know, I think, I think that most of us live in a state of fear to one level or another, and oh, we yeah, manage yeah. to distract ourselves. We manage to um, you know, maybe find some kind of, you know, sort of a band-aid kind of a practice to kind of just quell the fear a little bit. But in these kinds of times, the rawness of our fear um, really emerges. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you know, any of it, the truth is any of us could die at any moment, right? But we kind of look away from that. And, but when we have this when we have this moment where we could die at any moment, much closer to our consciousness, that's a time to really learn about our fear. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, having, of course, having, a, you, know, you know, being gentle with yourself, if you have a kind of a practice that includes guides or guidance, or, you, know, or a de- you know, a mentor or a deity to call in that compassionate presence as you're trying to work with your fear is, is very important. Otherwise you can really get thrown off. Mm. And, but then to, you know, to find like a stable cushion to be able to bring your fear out and really try to feel into the roots of it. So you can feel into your body and feel where the, where the physical sensation of that fear is registering and do some deep breathing into it and let let your fear talk to you as you're breathing into it you know what is it that you're afraid of you know and and 
you know, if you feel like, you know, you know, a lot of us, when we open to our fear, we just have this like, ah, you know, like we can't get any kind of conceptual peace around it at all. Yeah. And so in that case, just to try to hold it compassionately or ask of a known mentor or guide to just hold us compassionately in it until we can stabilize. That's, that's really helpful. Um, it's also really helpful to really consider equanimity again. And, you know, this is one of the four immeasurables in, in Buddhist practice, along with compassion, which we have just speaking about, and loving kindness, what we were just speaking about with the people putting signs in their windows uh, to help others. And, um, and empathetic joy, of course, is the, is the fourth. But equanimity is, you know, it's, I often see uh, spiritual teachers kind of run, rushing across equanimity to get to compassion or loving kindness because it's just, you know, I don't know why people do that, but they do. And um, I guess so, you know, I mean, they're all complex, but I think equanimity is one of the most complex states to try to cultivate because it requires so much of us. Mm. And we have to truly, when we're bringing equanimity to fear that's emerging, we have this, this way of practicing. So the fear arises and then you're looking at where's the attachment, where's the aversion, and you try to get to the middle. The fear arises again, get to the, you get to the, you look, okay, where's the aversion, where's the attachment? And you keep, you keep trying to get to a place of, you know, of, of, of true equanimity, not indifference, not disconnection, you know, you're looking for how can I be fully present with this thing and non-reactive? And it's very, very powerful practice. And it's a wonderful moment to practice because all of our filters are, or our usual distractions are stripped away. And yet we are not falling over a cliff or we're not, you know, very close to death on our deathbed. We have a moment to practice. We have an environment where we can practice and yet this intensity is there. And so our practice can become more powerful and we can make a lot of strides actually with this kind of a, a an approach. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that, att that attention or that focus um, being placed on equanimity. Um, and and I also really appreciated what you said a bit ago about about death because I, I see that as being a huge factor, right? This fear of death, and of course in the yoga tradition, it's one of the kleshas, right? It's one of the kind of um, the afflictions is this fear of death, and and one could say, I mean, sometimes I say sort of provocatively or maybe not so provocatively that yoga is a practice of preparing for death, and you oh, could yeah. say, you know, all contemplative practices are in some sense that way, and um, and then there's also, you know. It's interesting, right as the the uh, it started to get kind of dramatic, you know, in terms of the the public response. I last week I went to an off Broadway show and it was called "We're All Gonna Die" or "We're Gonna Die," and uh, and it was a uh, it was kind of a one woman show with music. It wasn't quite a musical, but it was it had music in it. And the last song that she sang was the the lyrics were like "We are we are all gonna die. we're all gonna die and it's gonna be okay." And basically it was this, and then, and she had invited the whole audience to sing this song. And, you know, I told some people about it later and they're like, oh, that's morbid. And for me, I experienced it as just profoundly beautiful, this mm -hmm. shared acknowledgement 
of okay. the only leveler of humanity, you know, the true leveler of humanity, the, the, the completely shared experience that we all have, you know, uh, again, you know, is beyond anything else is death. We're all going to experience it. And yet it is this thing that we avoid and, and try to escape from and try to, you know, avoid confronting. And, and, you know, insofar as, we can become more comfortable through our contemplative practices with the fact of death. It seems like these kinds of moments of fear could perhaps be less potent, don't you think? Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, looking at these moments as a way to practice for dying. Yeah. You know, like we don't get a lot of opportunities to really be as terrified as we're going to be when we're dying. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, no matter how much we practice, I, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be afraid to, yeah. Float right in, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, please let it happen while I'm asleep. <laughs> right, right. So, so, you know, to, to really, you know, to like really have our raw fear and of course, other, other emotions, you know, like, you know, there's, as you were saying, Jacob, you know, where you, some people get into this really isolating place, as opposed to getting into a more, you know, community oriented place, when we, we have to confront those tendencies, because if we have, if our response to fear and to stress is to shut down and to go, to go into isolation, that's our relationship to the universe as we're dying. Mm, yeah. And that's not the, the relationship that we want to have when we're living or when we're dying, you know? And if we have, it's a natural tendency. I mean, maybe not natural, not natural for everyone, but for some people, it's the way they protect, you know? And it's natural to want to protect yourself. But when you're protecting yourself from the beauty of the universe and what it might offer you in a totally new situation as you're dying, that's not the time to protect, right? You know, the time is, you know, the, 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 the task is to take refuge in your practice, to take refuge in your connection with all of the work that you've done to be connected to compassion, to loving kindness, to, to do all of the work that you've done to like maintain internal stability and to, you know, be able to face down any kind of, you know, grasping that you might have at holding on to the way things were or any kind of aversion to allowing the new the new experience to emerge and so you know it's it's just a wonderful time to practice all of this and you'll be more stable you know if if for instance like god forbid anyone should die from this you know if they, you were to contract the illness if you were to practice now while you're well and bring that practice into your sickness and you'll recover better and you know and there's a whole thing to talk about in terms of a vibratory field that you create around you and how that can support you you know we can talk more about that if you want to well, why don't, yeah, let's talk a little bit about more about that. And then maybe we can close with, uh, would you be open to sharing a meditation that might help to cultivate that or just a meditation in general, I think would be nice right now. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little more about cultivating this vibratory field of, you know, um, I don't want to say wellness because that just sounds a little too, um, uh, cookie cutter, oh, but, um, California. <laughs> I was gonna, the, yeah, no, that I, it, it reminds me of sort of like, you know, bl pinks and blue and light blues that you would see on a, on a, you know, wellness website. Uh, but, um, so yeah, so uh, ways of, um, 
uh, or just more on that idea of this kind of vibratory field that you that can support you? Well, this this kind of addresses what you were talking about before in terms of you know having this fear, like we're back to fear, the fear coming up. Fear is a particular when you break it down, it is a particular vibratory rate, right? right. It ha- it has its own energetic signature. And at the heart of all spiritual practice is energy medicine. It is the understanding of fields of energy. And so if you, if you understand, okay, if I'm choosing to, to and you, it is a choice there. I mean, I know there's times where you're absolutely terrified and you feel like you can't choose, but in this situation where it's a slow moving experience, moving through the community, you have, you have a choice of where to place your heart and where to place your mind. And, the place, and, and, and in order to be able to place your mind and your heart in a place that is supportive to you and others, you have to recognize that, it, that the supportive place has a vibratory field. And so, you're, so if you're choosing fear, the fear that the field is like this, you know, it's kind of yeah, tight, mm-hmm. right? And if you're choosing, like, if you're choosing, for instance, equanimity, the field is more like this, right? And if you're choosing compassion, the field is more like this. Mm. And if you're choosing loving kindness, the fear is more like that, right? It's difficult to express in words, but it's very clear if you see, if you see my hands and you understand the energy they're pointing to, and you really do want to create this field of of equanimity, this open, spacious field, so that you have this stability to be able to meet any kind of fear that comes in to your vibratory field. So if you have this field that you're generating and that you're part of and that you're offering as a raft to others, mm-hmm. again, you know, you saw in that story that I told you about the woman in the store, she recognized that I, and I was actively cultivating a field of equanimity and compassion standing in that line. And she saw it and she recognized it, right? And she kind of swam over to it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you, and you, want to be able to, you want to be able to do that for people and for yourself. And then what that does, it, it creates a countercurrent against all of this is what you were saying is sensationalizing did the potential to sensationalize things right it for it creates a counter current of 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 different vibratory field that can help and you can create more space for the more equanimous field the more compassionate field and that neutralizes all of the pandemic fear vibration that is sweeping the the it's definitely sweeping the bay area i don't know if it's sweeping new york but, oh yes, oh yes. I de- we definitely feel it here. I mean, you go walk outside, and and I mean, sh- bars and restaurants are closed. There's not a there's not a complete lockdown now, um, but you know who knows if and when it will happen. Um, but people are certainly most people are staying home and and not going outside. And there's very few people in the streets. So yeah, it's definitely happening. Um, all right, so I. Uh, we've, we're about eight minutes away from our, our 30 minute uh, attempted mark <laughs> of okay. completion. So why don't we, um, Lisa, would you lead us through um, maybe a you know, five to 10 minute meditation? Sure, sure, happy right. to do that. Okay, so just letting yourself get settled. Feeling your back straight, your 
feet on the ground or crossed and <clears throat> if you're on the floor. Just feeling your hands in your lap. And as you feel the support under you, just allowing yourself to notice where your breath is. Noticing as you breathe in where your breath goes and noticing as you breathe out where your breath goes. And just allowing yourself to watch your breath moving in and moving out. And if any other thoughts should come into your mind, just let them pass through like clouds in the sky. And then just return to your breath. And just becoming aware of the way in which your breath is almost like a bridge between your outer world and your inner world. And just allowing yourself with each breath to draw a bit closer into your inner world. Into that place where everything that you've ever known or felt or sensed or imagined is recorded. And as you come into this place, just allowing yourself to connect with any mentor or teacher or guide who has helped you understand yourself and the universe better. Just letting yourself feel that connection supporting you. And as you feel that support, just allowing yourself now <clears throat> to begin to contemplate this idea of equanimity. Remembering that equanimity means making yourself equal or making things equal. And just allowing yourself to know that when you have equanimity, you feel an engaged connection. You're not indifferent. You have an engaged impartiality.
and just allowing yourself now as you are focusing on the support that you have with your guide or your mentor to bring to your mind someone or some situation that you have a lot of affection for or that you care about. And as you approach this person or this situation that you care about with your contemplative focus, just allowing yourself now to try to bring equanimity and engaged impartiality to this situation or to this person. And sometimes people feel like they might be pulling back when they try to do this practice with someone they care about. And allow that to be a a possibility that this equanimity might pull you back and actually potentially create even more spaciousness in the relationship. And if you find yourself gripping or grasping, just note that. Note where it is in your body and breathe into it. And just let that gripping go. Just coming to a place of engaged impartiality. And then when you're ready, just come back to your breath, moving in and moving out again, just resting in your breath. And then when you're ready, just allow yourself now with the support of your inner guide or mentor or teacher to focus on a person or a situation that you don't like or that you feel judged by. And again, just allowing yourself to focus on this person or on the situation that you don't like, or you feel doesn't like you perhaps, and try to bring a sense of impartial, engaged neutrality to this person or situation. And sometimes when we find ourselves trying to bring equanimity to this kind of a relationship, we can find a kind of pushing away within us or an avoidance that we want to 
bring to the situation. And if you find yourself feeling that avoidance, just noticing where it's rising from in your body, it might feel like a constriction or hardening. And just breathing into that place and breathing out, letting that open, letting a bit of spaciousness come into the relationship. One thing that's helpful to remember as you're trying to bring equanimity to this person or this situation that you may not like is to remember that everyone like you wants to be happy. And just bringing this engaged impartiality And just allowing yourself now to know you can return to both of these practices, but for now, just returning to your breath. And as you just watch your breath, just noticing if you might feel a bit more spaciousness within you. and allowing yourself to breathe deeply into that place of spaciousness that may be arising in your body or in your heart or in your mind. And just deepening that spaciousness with your breath, breathing into it and out. And just recognizing as you generate this spaciousness in this way, you are creating a vibratory field that can act as a counterforce to any other energies, such as fear, and just deepening your connection with this field of spaciousness that is infused with this energy of impartiality, engagement, and equanimity. And just letting yourself rest there for a moment. when you're ready, just allowing yourself to begin to notice the surface under you again. Noticing your breath as it moves out can bring you back out into the room as you follow it. And with each exhale, just coming back a bit closer into the room. And when you're ready, just stretching a bit, opening your eyes, and just letting yourself rest in this field of spaciousness that you've created here, knowing that you can 
do this whenever you need the spaciousness. Thank you, Isa. That was perfect. All right. So um, I think we should just leave it in that calm space and um, and invite, I'd like to invite everyone who's either tuned in or is listening um, to uh, look at Isa's other wonderful offerings on her website at sacredstream.org. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Um, there's lots of um, free video and audio content to explore. Um, of course, with more of Issa's fabulous teachings, as well as uh, teachings from other friends of Sacred Stream on that website. Um, again, that's sacredstream.org. Thank you so much, Issa, for joining me and having this conversation. Jacob, thank you so much for everything that you do to generate and create and expand consciousness in the world. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you for including me. <laughs> <laughs>